So today, um, I want to talk to you about um, a king, Josiah. We're going to be reading from 2 Kings 22 and 2 Chronicles 34. There are only four chapters in the Bible that talks about Josiah, the king. But I want you to understand that what's recorded is what he did for God. And one day when we stand before God, that's all it's going to be. Our jobs are not going to matter. What clothes we wore, what shoes, what car we drove, what house we were in, nothing will matter but what was for the kingdom. And if you read Josiah's story, you understand that. So if you want to give it a title today, you can say it says, You heard me, so I also have heard you. And God spoke that to me for two days now. That's what I've been hearing. You heard me, and I also have heard you. That is an encouragement to the people of God that are doing the right thing. And a discouragement for those that are not. So I want to talk to you and I want to read a little bit about Josiah. 2 Kings 2, verses 1 and 2, it says, Josiah was 8 years old when he became king. And he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. His mother was Jedidiah, the daughter at Ak. Adiah, Adahiah of Bozakath, and I'm not good at those names. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in all the ways of his father, David. He did not turn aside to the left, to the right hand, or to the left. Now, there's a couple of things that I gather from this. Josiah was a young boy when he started. Young people, it's not counted against you, no matter what age you start. But definitely we can't disallow the younger ones because God can use them as much as he can use those of us. Um, Josiah, and it says that he did right in the sight of the Lord. So he had obviously great counsel. And he chose to walk after the ways of his father David. Now David was not his actual father, but he was in the David lineage. And it's interesting how they chose to associate him with David instead of his real father, and there's a reason for that. Second Chronicles 34. Let's read what they have to say about Josiah. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned 31 years in Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord and walked in the ways of his father David. He did not turn aside to the right hand nor to the left. For in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. And in the 20, 20th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, the wooden images, the carved images, and the molded images. What I want to gather from that is he had a natural father. And he had a natural grandfather. His, he was the son of King Ammon and the grandson of King Messiah. Both of these kings were wicked men. And I think it's interesting, when he was eight years old, they were all gone. Even his father was killed. 
they were wicked men. And I, why I'm pointing this out is I don't care what your lineage is. God can use you to do. If you're willing. You notice that he sought, he started seeking the God of the father, David. This is why they put David in there. Is because not only is he in that lineage, but he identified with the way of David. Even though David wasn't his natural father, he was a spiritual father to him. And he did the most godly thing is he started purging the land of all that was against God. All that wasn't in it. Let's read about what he did, verse 4. They broke down the altars of the, ba- of the Baals in his presence and the incense altars which were above them. He cut down and the wooden images, the carved images and the molded images. He broke into pieces and made dust of them. And he scattered it on the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. He also burned the bones of the priest on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. And so he did in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simon, and as far as uh, Nephtali, and all around with axes. When he had broken down the altars and the wooden images, had beaten the carved images into powder and cut down all the incense altars throughout all the land of Judah, or of Israel, he returned to Jerusalem. This young boy, at this time... It said it was in the eighth year of his reign. He was only 16. That's a lot for a 16-year-old to think along that. Yeah, and physical. I'm sure he had help, but he was considered a reformer. He was a reformer. He went in and cleansed the temple, and he removed all the objects, all the high places, all the places were demolished that set up anything against God. For a 16-year-old to be that close to God and have that much understanding of what is necessary. Because Babylon, at this time, Jerusalem didn't, didn't have, um, you know, uh, they didn't have their traditional things. They didn't even have the Passover celebrated. It was rare to have what we would consider a church. <laughs> they, they had gotten so far away because of his ancestors, his grandfather and his father. That the church was sparse. Kind of sounds like today, doesn't it? But he was a reformer. He did two other, or at least one other great thing. Now, what is a reformer? A reformer is a person who makes changes to something in order to improve it. We are called to be reformers here. We are called to teach. We are called to, in love, guide people and show them the truth and even at times we have to reprimand in love and show them the right thing you are going to be a reformer in the days to come we are called to that as the church we are not the restorers because the holy spirit and christ has done that through the blood but we are the reformers we are the ones that labor at cutting down the strongholds and showing them the things in their lives that are holding them back and giving them the instruments and showing them the instruments that they use to make that happen. And we, have, we help them with that. 
That's why we teach here. You don't get a lot of hooping and hollering. You get a lot of the word because that's the sword. That's the weapon you have. It's the shield that you have. And you have to have these things to defeat the enemy, even if it's your own flesh. You have to have these things. My people perish for a lack of knowledge. That's what we do. We share knowledge. We share our experiences, our lowest moments, our highest moments. We let them know that there is a God that loves them and cares for them, and there is a better way through Christ Jesus, through the Word of God. It's not just a fairy tale. It's just not a feeling. It is something down deep inside that's real. It's not temporal. It's eternal. So we are called to be reformers. And I want to read on at the next thing that he did. We'll stay in Second Chronicles 34. So he's returned back to Jerusalem. It says, in the 18th year of his reign. So how old would he have been then? 26. When he had purged the land in the temple, he sent uh, Saphron, the son of Azekiah, Azaliah, Manasseh, the governor of the city, Jodah, the son of Judas, the recorder, to repair the house of the Lord his God. Notice his God. <laughs> when they came to Hikala, the high priest, they delivered the money that was brought into the house of God, which the Levites, who kept the door, had gathered from the hand of Manasseh and Ephraim from all the remnants of Israel, from all Judah and Benjamin, and which they had brought back to Jerusalem. Then they put it in the hands of the foreman who had the oversight of the house of the Lord, and they gave it to the workmen who worked in the house of the Lord to repair and restore the house. They gave it to the craftsmen and the builders to buy the huge stones and the timbers for the beams and to floor the houses which the kings of Judah had destroyed. And the men did the work faithfully. Their overseers were these Le the Levites and the son of, and it names a few other men I won't go into, the supervisors. Others of the Levites, all of whom were skillful with instruments of music, were over the burden bearers and were overseers of all who did work in any kind of service. And some of the Levites were scribes, officers, and gatekeepers. Now when they brought out the money that was brought into the house of the Lord, the priests found the book of the law of the Lord given by Moses. So I want you to see two things. The children, the Israelites, were bringing money in and giving it as they come into the temple. And they were storing that money up to pay the workers who were faithful, who were skilled, who were competent men. In one verse it says, um, let me read how, how they, they wrote it. It says that they were, um, however, they need be no accounting made. They didn't even keep accounting with them of the money delivered into their hand because they dealt, they deal faithfully. They deal faithfully. And I think that's pretty awesome. Workers in the church were reliable, skillful, competent, and trustworthy. Your work won't go unappreciated. 
It won't go uncompensated. If you're doing the work for the Lord and you are faithful and you deal faithfully, it will all be taken care of. And the second thing I want you to notice is that they found a book, the book of the law given to Moses. And I think that's interesting because this book had been gone for a long time. If you read the scholars, they think either one of the evil kings before him, his grandfather or his father, destroyed all the ones and they hid this one. Or it was the one that was next to the Ark, in the Ark of the Covenant. Either way, they found it. And they bring it out. And they're so surprised this, this is the book. And he gave it to the priest. And, and, the, and Shaphan read it before the king. He runs and he takes it to the king. He says, and they, and they have gathered the money that was found in the house of the Lord and have delivered it into the hands of the overseers and the workers. And then the scribe took it to the king. And he read it to the king. Thus it happened when the king heard the words of the law that he tore his clothes. And he commanded five gentlemen. He said, go inquire of the Lord for me and for those who are left in Israel and Judah concerning the words of the book that is found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is poured out on us because our fathers have not kept the word of the Lord to do according to all that is written in this book. So here's a young man who didn't even have the word in his life. And he finds it. And when he reads it, he rips his clothes. Tear, and that's a sign of humility, of mourning. It's a sign of, uh, of remorse. It's, it's to go to God and ask for God. Can, it's a petition for God. You know, can this be changed? Can you help us in this? Lord, do you see my heart? And he's pleading not only for himself. He's pleading for the household, the whole Israelite people. In 2 Kings 22, it says, Now it happened when the king heard the words of the book of the law, he tore his clothes. And he commanded five men, I won't read their names, to go and inquire of the Lord for me, for the people and for all Judah concerning the word of this book that has been found. For great is the wrath of the Lord that is aroused against us because our fathers have not obeyed the words of his, this book to do according to all that is written. And in the two stories, so what you see now, he's a reformer. He's a restorer. He's restoring the, um, the kingdom. And if you go to... Uh, 2 Kings, I think down to 23, he even restores the uh, observation of the Passover. They were not even celebrating the Passover. That's how far religion had, how far they had gotten away from their traditions, their lives, the things that God had asked them and told them to do. So he's a, he restored not only the household, but he restored back the uh, beliefs and the celebrations. A person who restores is one who brings back or reestablishes and, and provides a right or um, a, he re, uh, renews or repairs. He brings back something that was lost. So go to Second Chronicles. 34 again, and I read this earlier where he tore down the images, he tore down all that. He even burned 
and killed the priest of those false doctrines on the altars. He also burned the bones of the priests on their altars and cleansed Judah and Jerusalem. A lot of scholars think that was witches, mediums, you know, that operated in this false religions, the Bell religion. I won't go into detail, but you can read about it. But he did, he removed, he did away with it. He, he was a great influencer. Even as a young age, he was obedient and committed to God. Thus, he was blessed by God. He responded to God's word. Those are the things that God looks for in a, in a reformer, in a Christian who should be helping others, reforming others. That is the qualifications. You've got to be obedient to the word of God. It should cut you to the core. I know a lot of times we read the word and we hate reading the word because it is so, it, it, it reveals your heart. But that's what it's supposed to do. Bible says it's a double-edged sword, dividing marrow from bone, cutting away and shaping. And, 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 and the one, in the one translation, 2 Kings 22, it says that he had a tender heart, the king did. Let me see if I can find that one. May have been in the other one. But it said that he had a tender heart. I think that's what God calls him. But let's go on. I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's go on. That's, that's the whole point of the Bible and learning the word and studying and, and talking to God is you're being shaped and molded. You can't have a hard heart and be pliable like clay in the in master's hand. You've got to have a tender heart. So let's go on. So they send the five men out. And ladies, vindication is right around the corner. Let me just read this to you. So they all go, and they go to a prophetess. A prophetess. Tell me that a woman of God can't be an instrument used in God. This is Old Testament. This is before Mary was sent out from the tomb to preach the good news. Old Testament. We have Deborah. We have uh, Miriam. We have one. There's one other that I can't even think. There's Anne. Anna. Yeah. Old Testament. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, we have our place when it comes to the home. Our husband is our household. We come under the shepherd. But I'm telling you. If they're teaching you you can't do this, it's a flat-out lie, and the Bible backs it up. Huh? Yes. So let's, let's read about this woman of God. 2 Kings 22. The sons, the, they went to, she is, her name is Huldah. Huldah, the prophetess, the wife of Shalom, the son of Tevek the son of Harris, keeper of the wardrobe. Girls, we've always liked clothes, haven't we? <laughs> it's wonderful. I think that's great. It says she dwelt in Jerusalem in the second quarter. Some translations say in the college. It was a division of Jerusalem that was rebuilt after one of the falls or one of the takeovers. But anyway, she was part of the, <clears throat> they think the priestly, kept the priestly robes wardrobe intact and took care of it and cared for it when it was needed to be used and unused. 
And they spoke with her, and let's see what she says. Then she said to them, Thus saith the Lord, I'm in verse 15, 2 Kings 22, Thus saith the Lord of Israel, Tell the men, the man, who sent you to me. Thus saith the Lord, Behold, I will bring calamity on this place and on its inhabitants. All the words of the Bible, the book which the king of Judah has read, because they have forsaken me and burned incense to other gods, that they might provoke me to anger with all the works of their hands. Therefore my wrath shall be aroused against this place and shall not be quenched. He was trying to bring God's favor back to his people, but God says no. I warned him, I warned him. There was two prophets already. Jeremiah was one of them at this time, giving him warning after warning, and they wouldn't obey. He says, it will not be quenched. He said, but as for the king of Judah, notice, child of God, how you should be different from man. You have a different, he has a different standard for you. Listen, he says, thus saith the Lord God of Israel, concerning the words which you have heard because your heart was tender and you humbled yourself before the Lord when you heard what I spoke against this place and against its inhabitants, that they would become a desolation and a curse, and you tore your clothes and wept before me. I also have heard you. Because you heard me. I also have heard you. What greater thing can a Christian have? Hope that God hears you. Even when you're crying out. Even when it's the lowest moment of your time. Even when you're seeking his help for someone else. (laughs) That may even be hopeless. He says, because you heard me, I also have heard you. He says, surely, therefore, I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace. And your eyes shall not see all the calamity which I bring on this place. And so they brought the word back to the king. And that struck me. When is death such a great thing as when you don't have to endure the mighty hand of God? That comes upon you. Upon the people. He says you will go to your grave in peace. And you will not see the calamity. Which I will bring on this place. (laughs) When is death such a great thing? There is your answer. But I love today. All he could tell me for the last two days. He says because you heard me. I also have heard you. You can read the next two chapters, 23 and uh, 35 of the other chapter I gave you to learn what happened to him, basically. King of Israel, of Egypt, come against the land, not against him, but he come against the land. And the king went out disguised, trying to be part of it, the battle, And an arrow caught him. And he went to his grave. He died. Even though the king of Egypt told him, says, I have no offense with you. Stay away. 
This is between me and them. He went out, and he did. He, went in, he lived in peace his whole life, his whole reign, his whole country lived in peace because of this one man. But he died. I think he, was only, he only reigned 31 years, so he was 39 when he died. But I love today that God keeps saying, you heard me, I also have heard you. I don't know who that's for, but God heard you. He has a promise. He's going to keep it in peace. Walk in that peace today. Walk in the assurance that God heard you because you've heard him. Stick to the plan. Seek him. Do what's right according to the word of God, according to what God tells you to do. And he says, you will go to your grave in peace. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your comfort today. We thank you for knowing, even though there are times that your anger is kindled in this world, that as children of God, we have the promise of peace. We have the promise of joy and love through the fruit of the Spirit. Lord, give us focus and understanding. Let us continue to seek the kingdom of God first. And all things will be added to us. Let us not be discouraged by what we hear and what we read in the world. But let us stay focused on the eternal, on you, Father. The life giver, the creator, the one that knows the beginning from the end. The one that will never leave me nor forsake me. The one in Psalms 23 that leads me by the still waters. That makes me lie in the green grass. And the one that restores my soul. Thank you, Father, for those promises that even though I walk through the shadow of the valley of death, I will fear no evil. For thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table in the presence of my enemy. And surely your glory, your mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We claim that in the name of Jesus and we thank you for those promises. Amen.